If you have a Bible, you can go to Psalm chapter 2, the second Psalm. Um, And while you're turning there, let me just say that whenever the youth pastor preaches, no one ever shows up. And so thanks for being here today. Uh, The few and the proud, right? Um, If you're a guest with us, please come back next week when Pastor Lyle preaches, because it's going to be a million times better than anything that I can do. So don't judge the church just off of what I can do. Um, But while we're here, we might as well give it our best shot. Amen. Um, Before we do that, though, there's a couple of people that I wanted to recognize. Um, This past week, we had Vacation Bible School and G-Fuge. It was an amazing week. There's a couple of highlights that I wanted to share. We brought in more kids than we have in years, more kids signed up than they have in years. I think that Pastor Lyle texted me, yeah, give it up for that. I think our attendance was up like something like 130% since last year, and so it was amazing. Um, We also brought in over $1,800 for missions. The kids did all of that. That was amazing. But here's the most amazing part. Out of all the kids that we had and all the money that we gave to missions, um, three of our kids gave their life to Jesus Christ for the first time ever at Vacation Bible School. So that's amazing. Not only do we do VBS, but the youth, we had G-Fuge, right? So if they look super tired, it's like they've been doing yard work all week. They, these youth aren't used to doing that. Um, but it was an amazing week because we got to serve some people in our church and our community. So just really quick, if you were involved in serving at VBS or G-Fuge this week, would you just stand up to your feet? Just stand up, whatever that is. Can we let these folks know how proud we are of them? Yeah, great job. You know, uh, this morning, Luke Larson walked in uh, to Sunday school upstairs in the youth, and he said, you ready? And I said, well, I guess so. He's like, you're preaching, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm preaching. I'll, do, I'll give it my, 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 uh, my best shot. And he said, well, you may not know this, but people like it when you preach for my dad. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, but not because it's good or anything, but because we get done earlier. And I was like, oh, thanks, Luke. So since I have a record of getting us out early for lunch, let's go ahead and get started with the second psalm. Psalm 2, beginning in verse 1, says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, what's that word? Laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And all of God's people said, would you pray with me? Father, we come to you now and as we unpack your word, God, I pray that you would speak to us. God, I pray that you're preparing our hearts, Lord, to grow closer to you through the teaching and the preaching and the listening and the responding to your word. 
God, there's so many more people even in this room who are more than likely more qualified than I am to preach your word. But God, I pray that you dismiss me this morning because if you don't preach, there will be no preaching done. So Jesus, preach for us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said? Do, uh, do you remember the first device that you listen to music on? Whether it was a record player, an 8-track, or a Sony Walkman, you probably remember what it was you first listened to music on. And by the way, I don't know what any of those things are. I just Googled what people my parents' age listen to music on, and, and that's what came up. So I hope that's all right. Did I do good? Okay. Right when I became old enough to start choosing the music that I would listen to was right when the Internet first really took off. Now, I'm going to say a word, and all of the 90s kids are going to know exactly what I'm talking about when I say this word. Here's the word. You ready? LimeWire. Anybody, any of the 90s kids in here remember LimeWire? For those of you who don't know what LimeWire is, it was a software where you could download music, but it was risky business to do so. Um, Why? Well, one, you could get a virus. Two, it it wasn't exactly... um, this thing we call legal, um, which is why I made sure to look up the statute of limitations on illegally downloading music before I told you the story I'm about to tell you right now. Now, let me give you a tip, those of you who have kids, let me give you a tip on monitoring your kids and their use of the Internet. However advanced you think that they are, they're actually like five years ahead of that, and so do with that what you will. Um, My parents learned this when they realized that their 8-year-old son, Noah, had downloaded the latest Snoop Dogg album on LimeWire. Now, uh, I'm not sure what was more concerning to my parents at that time, the fact that their 8-year-old was listening to Snoop Dogg or the fact that he committed a felony in order to do so. I I told you all when you all voted me in, I wasn't voted most likely to be a man of the clergy. See, but the Lord did a work in my life and changed the type of music that I like to listen to. Um, And I'm convinced of this now, and I'll always be convinced of this. When it comes to deciding what the greatest genre of music is, there's only one answer, and it's this, country music. Amen. Now, 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 before you judge me, I'm not talking about all this pretty boy pop country that they play on the radio right now. I'm talking about, like, 90s country. I'm talking about Garth Brooks, Tracy Lawrence, Travis Tritt, the holy trinity of 90s country music, okay? That's what I'm talking about. I'm preaching this morning, ain't I? But out of all the country singers that there have been, only one holds the title of the king of country music. You see, the king of country music comes from the state of Texas, has sold over 100 million records worldwide, and has more number one hits than any other artist in music history. And if that's not enough for you to know that he's the king, it's songs like this that remind you that he is. I'm carrying your love with me. West Virginia down to Tennessee. I'll be living with the good Lord's feet. Carrying your love with me. It's our strength. Our holding on. And 
all of God's people said. <laughs> that song alone shows us that George Strait is the king of country music, and he always will be. Hey, church, our song we're going to unpack today is going to show us this. Jesus Christ is the king of kings, and he reigns forever. This psalm we're unpacking today is going to sing this truth over us, and it's going to sing it over us in four distinct rhythms. The first rhythm is that of the rebellion of sin. Can we say that together? The We see here in this first rhythm the picture of what rebellion against God looks like. The text says, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is Jesus, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. We see the nations, kings, and rulers coming together to plot on what they are going to do against the Lord and his anointed. And the plot is simply this. How can we rid ourselves of them? How can we plan to break free from the chains that they've put on us? Isn't much different than what happens nowadays. How can we remove as much of the scripture from our daily lives as possible? And how can we rid ourselves of the chains of objective truth and Christian morality? During the French Revolution, one revolutionist climbed to the top of the Notre Dame Cathedral and ripped up the cross on top of the building and threw it down to the ground. And he looked at the crowd and shouted, Let us tear down every vestige that reminds us of God. Well, someone in the crowd looked back up and shouted back, Well, then you'll have to pull down the very stars from the heavens. Yet our sinful nature that we live in, we're under this illusion that removing God from our lives is the key to experiencing freedom. But is a tree really free when it's uprooted from its roots? Is a fish really free when it frees itself from the water? Is a train really free when it frees itself from the rails to which it rides on? Absolutely not. And no human soul is free when it lives in rebellion to its creator. You see, true freedom is not found in rebellion against God, but rather submission to God. Um, do any of you misplace things? Like you lose your keys, your wallet, all these things. Um, I have a, by the way, if you're that, I have a tip for you. It's a thing called an Apple AirTag or a tile. Save my life. Um, I lose my keys, my wallet, everything. But um, do you guys ever, <laughs> do you guys ever lose like, you know, the TV remote? You ever do that? My wife loses the TV remote and always seems to blame it on me. But, like, I'll go looking for the TV remote, and after about 20 minutes or so, I say, you know what? This thing's gone. We're never watching TV again. I don't know what it is about our couches nowadays, but they just eat, like, stuff. And so usually I'll lose the TV remote, and then, you know, I'll forget about it for a month or so. And then I'll be sitting on the couch, and I'll drop my cell phone. I'm like, okay, I, I need to find my cell phone. I'll dig in. And I won't find my cell phone. You know what I'll find? The TV remote I lost a month ago. Has anybody ever done this before? Like when you look for something you're looking for, you never find it, but then you lose something else, and then you find what you lost a long time ago. Is anybody, anybody, is that just me? Am I crazy? Or, okay, praise God. You see, as it is in the physical, 
so it is in the spiritual. In order to find your life, you must first lose it. One worship song puts it this way when it says, I found my life when I laid it down. Jesus said it like this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But yet the nations still rage and the people still plot in vain. Not only does the psalmist sing in the rhythm of the rebellion of sin, but secondly we see the rhythm of the response of the sovereign. Verse 4 says, he who sits in the heavens, what's the word? Laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Now here we see Yahweh's response of how the nations rage and the people's plot to overtake his kingdom. Now I want to, I want you to consider something this morning. What makes you laugh? Like, like we all have different senses of humor, like, is yours like dad jokes? Or is it dark humor? Like, like, what is it that makes you laugh? Me personally, I love to see people fall. I'm just being honest. I mean, it makes me laugh. Now, if you fall in front of me and there's like no significant risk to your well-being due to that fall, I love you, but I promise you one thing. I'm going to laugh at you. It's just what I find funny. How many of you have ever done something embarrassing and have had someone say this to you? I'm laughing with you. I'm not laughing at you. They're lying. You see, Yahweh has a sense of humor here, we see. The psalmist shows us that there's a heavenly humor. And it views anyone thinking they can overthrow Yahweh and his kingdom as divine comedy. And when Yahweh laughs here, he's not laughing with the people. Mm -mm. He's laughing at them. You see, God responds in two ways to the people our text shows us. First, he derides them and their empty purpose. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derisions. In other words, he mocks them and he lets them just stir in that for a minute. Now, God choosing to scoff at someone in the Bible doesn't happen that often. But usually when it does, it's usually directed towards kings, rulers, in nations. In one of my favorite movies, a father asks his son, Do you know why the New York Yankees always win, Frank? The son replies, I don't know, because they have Mickey Mantle? The father says, No, it's because the other teams can't stop staring at their pinstriped uniforms. You see, me and you, we give reverence to certain nations and powers at be and get so distracted that we forget however much power they think they have, they're only able to do what God allows them to do. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. In other words, whether a nation has an army of a hundred or a hundred million, whether a small revolt or the Roman Empire, a tiny military, or a world-leading nuclear power, and whether or not their leader sits in the executive office in uh, Moscow at the Kremlin, or their leader sits in the Oval Office at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, they all have this one thing in common. However much power they think they may have, they are still no match for God Almighty, Yahweh, our Lord and Savior. 
You see, not only does God deride them of their empty purpose, but he also directs them to their to his established plan. God says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. God is saying to the rebellious people that whatever plans and plots they have to overtake his kingdom, it's already too late. You see, God has already set his king on Zion. Now, uh, I heard a story once of a man named Carl who, due to not being able to sleep well at night, would he'd always be late for work. And uh, Carl explained this issue to his boss, but his boss didn't want to hear it. His boss threatened to fire him if he didn't start showing up on time. And so Carl said, okay, i got to do something about this. So Carl went that day to the doctor and told the doctor about his sleeping issues. And the doctor gave him some powerful sleeping medication. He said, Carl, only take one of these because one is, like, going to get you a full night's rest. Well, Carl got back home that evening and he said... Man, this, this doctor doesn't know how serious my sleeping issue is. He told me to only take one. I'm going to go ahead and take two. And so he took two of those sleeping pills and he went to sleep. And when he woke up, he looked over and he realized he beat his alarm clock. The clock read 6 a.m. and he thought, wow, these pills really do work. I even have enough time to make myself breakfast and read a bit before I have to go into work. And so Carl marches into work that morning with his chest poked out, and he walks right up to that boss, and he says, These pills I got really worked. I told you I could show up on time. And the boss replies, That's great, Carl, but where were you at yesterday? See, he slept too late. So God is saying here to the rebellious people, Listen, you may be trying to overtake what I have planned, but the clock struck 3 p.m. on a Friday at a place called Calvary, and early that Sunday morning in a borrowed tomb, a long time ago in eternity's past. You're way too late. Which moves us into our third rhythm of this song, and that is the reign of the sun. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Look first at the what of his kingdom. The psalmist says that the reign of the son, Jesus Christ our Lord, will be of one that reigns over all people in all nations. Now, if you aren't already convinced this morning that God has a sense of humor, check this out. You know what his plan to conquer the people of all the nations is? To send the people to all the nations. You see, since God sovereignly ordained that Jesus would die for our sins and resurrect from the dead, that would mean that God would give all authority to his son. And with that authority, he would send the people out to conquer the nations. But he wouldn't send the people out to conquer the nations with a sword of violence and a giant military presence, but with a sword of truth and a gospel of peace. Jesus says in Matthew 18, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the what? Nations. But the Son doesn't just reign through ecclesiological means, you know, setting up his church, but also through eschatological means, what he's going to do in the end to set up his eternal kingdom. 
So we just saw the what of his kingdom, but we also see the how of his kingdom. Verse 9 says, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And so in the end, he will break the nations apart and there will be no more division of land and nations, only the eternal kingdom that he has set up for himself. A kingdom where he promises us that he will wipe away every tear and will heal every wound and where we will be in his presence forever. There's a lot of great images of heaven that people and authors and preachers and you know different people have written and, and talked about and they've, they've come up with some great ideas that maybe capture a little bit of you know how I would guess heaven would be like now, even though there's a lot of great images me personally I don't think any image describes it better than how C.S. Lewis described heaven in the Chronicles of Narnia so when speaking of the children and them being in Narnia which was an allegory of heaven This is what Lewis writes. Listen to this. He says, Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Church, that's the promise of eternity where the sun reigns that has been made freely available to me and you. And that's good news. But in order to have that, we have to do what the psalmist shows us in our last rhythm when he shows us this, the requirements of surrender. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I'll say this and then we're done. Here's the requirement of surrender. Giving God credit for who he is and what he has done for us. John 1.12 says, To all those who received him, he gave the right to become children of God. So all you have to do is believe that the Bible tells Jesus as Jesus actually is and believe the Bible for what it is. Believe that he did what he actually did for you. And you can be saved. The text here says to kiss the sun. Now we've all heard the old adage of kissing the ring. Which is, you know, a term of submission and endearment. That's exactly what the Bible is saying here. But let me be straight with you. Whether you realize it or not, you'll kiss the ring one day whether you choose to or not. You see, Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God our Father. Some will do this with joy, others with contempt. And I just want to set one thing straight here. The Bible is clear that God does not wish that any should perish. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Great Divorce, where he says, in the end, there's only two people. Those who say to God, thine will be done, and those whom God says to them, thine will be done. 
God wants every single one of us to enter into a relationship with him. So much so that he paid a price that me and you are not willing to pay. I heard a story once of a young boy who made one of these boats that fit in a bottle. You know what I'm talking about? One of these bottled boats. that You may not do that anymore. Um, but one of these, you know, really cool boats that you put in like the big bottle thing. And uh, it was his most prized possession. He spent years and years working on it until he finally was complete with it. Well, this boy went on church camp. And when he got back, he walked back into his room where his boat was. And he realized it was missing. And he thought, oh, maybe mom came in to dust off shelves and maybe I, I need to go check with her and see what's at. So um, he ran to his mom and said, mom, where's my boat? And she goes, oh, that, that old thing? Uh, did you like that? Uh, yeah, mom, it was, it was my most prized possession. And she says, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. While you were gone to church camp, I had a yard sale and I sold that thing for like five bucks. And he was devastated. But he forgot about it, you know, just dealt with the pain. That summer, his family went on um, a vacation to the beach in Florida. And I don't know if you've ever been to the beach um, and if you've ever seen, like, these surf shops. You ever been to a surf shop? Um, Basically, here's the idea of a surf shop. It's a place where um, you can take your kids and they can spend all your money on stuff that they're never going to use. That's a surf shop. Well, they walk into the surf shop, and the boy sees that there's a section full of bottled boats. And he's looking and goes, wow, I remember my bottled boat. And he sees one and goes, that one looks a lot like the one I had. And he goes, but it can't be. But then he remembers that he signed his name on the bottom of the boat after he got done with it. And just for giggles, he walks up to the boat and he grabs it and he looks and behold, his signature is on the bottom of this boat. He had to go miles and miles away to find his boat. He goes, oh my gosh, my most prized possession has been found. And so he walks up to the owner and he says, hey, this is my boat. He even writes his signature on a napkin to prove that it's his boat. And the owner says, okay, cool. You can have the boat for $5,000. The boy's devastated. So he walks back out the surf shop. But he walks out determined. And he goes back to his hometown. And that whole year, he cuts grass, he washes windows, he does everything that he can to earn $5,000 because he knows that his family is going to go there the next year on vacation. And so he works and works and works and works and does everything that he can do until he is just working himself tirelessly until he gets the $5,000. And he goes back next year to the same place and he walks into that surf shop and there his boat is. Is. He walks up, he grabs the boat, he walks up to the owner, throws the $5,000 on the table, doesn't even say anything to the owner. And he walks out the door with his boat, and as soon as he gets out the door, he looks down at his boat and he says this, Okay, boat, now you're twice mine. You see, me and you, whether we realize it or not, we're all once gods because he created us. And so whether you're in here this morning and you believe in the things we're talking about or not, I want you to know this. You are made in the image of God. But God's most prized possession slipped through his fingers when sin entered into the picture. And when God could have just wrote us off and said, you know what, I'll just count my losses. I'll never get them back. God went to 
work. And he did everything that he could to pay the price to do this, to purchase us back. And so this morning, that's you. Whether you're in here and you realize it or not, as the band comes up and we go into a time of invitation, all of us are once gods. But I need to ask you this question. Are you twice gods? Have you accepted all that Jesus did by dying on the cross, by being the atonement for your sin, and then resurrecting three days later, all so that he could redeem his prized creation? If that's you this morning and you say, I've never done that, but, but I want to do that, you can do that. This morning, the Bible says that all those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so as we pray and as we move into a time of invitation, you can reach out to God in prayer. It doesn't take any kind of magical words. It doesn't take any correct order. All you have to do is reach out to him in prayer and say, God, save me. And he'll save you. Maybe you're in here and God's working on you in steps of obedience. And maybe you have made that decision, but you've, you've never been baptized. You've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Why don't you take care of that today? You may not be ready to be baptized today. You may not have your clothes with you. Well, guess what? we got clothes in the back. Or you may not want to do it today. We can get it scheduled today. Or maybe the Lord's pressing upon your heart that this is where God has called you to serve. And you've been holding off joining the church for such a long time. Why don't you make that decision today? Whatever the case may be, here's what we know. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he reigns forever. And I pray that we understand that and we apply that to our everyday lives. You see, me and you, we're either going to contribute to the kingdom of God or we're going to contribute to our own kingdom. And so maybe today what you have to get right with the Lord is you need to come and bow here and make this, make these steps and altar and say, God, forgive me for placing myself above you and the things of you. God, forgive me for spending so long focused only on my selfish ambitions and not growing your kingdom. However the Lord moves today, I pray that you wouldn't walk out the doors without making that decision. I'll be up front. These um, steps will be open for those of you who want to come pray. Whatever the Lord is leading you to do, I pray that you would do it. Jesus, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And God, your reign is eternal. But God, I pray that that would mean something to us. So for those of us who may be praying right now to accept you as our Lord and Savior... God, I pray that we would step into all that it is that you have for us. For those of us who are wrestling with other decisions, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. Help us respond to what it is that you have done. Lord, continue to move. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.